It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Do the Jazz draft players at 9 and 16 who fill each other's deficiencies or pick redundantly according to who they deem the best player available? Find out next on Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello all and welcome into a draft week edition of Locked on Jazz. My name's Leif Tuline and I'm excited and honored to fill in for David Locke this week of all weeks, the draft week, and I can't wait, and many other weeks for you guys on Locked on Jazz. I'm a lifelong jazz fan who's a credentialed NBA draft analyst for the NBA Big Board, attendee of the 2023 Combine, Utah Jazz broadcast assistant and statistician, lover of college basketball. So don't expect all of the statistics that you're used to on Locked on Jazz to be gone. But I'll bring a unique perspective as a diehard college hoops fan, NBA draft analyst, jazz employee, and a diehard jazz fan to make you as knowledgeable as possible heading into this critical juncture in jazz franchise history with three picks just days away. Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Jazz is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Jazz, where the best way to help us grow is comment anything below. And today's question is, which combination is a combination of players at 16 uh, and 9 intrigue you the very most? 9 and 16 intrigue you the very most. Thank you to today's title sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by FanDuel, so thank you to them, and where we'll where some fun props will be available soon for the NBA draft. Let's talk about today's show. It's an interesting one. In the first segment, I will break down if the Jazz will try to fill the deficiencies of the top pick, number nine, or if they trade up, by complementing them with a guy with an opposite skill set with the next pick and what that could look like. Should they take Anthony Black or Osar Thompson at nine? In the second segment, I'll break down if the Jazz try to fill the deficiencies of their top pick by complimenting with a guy that has an opposite skill set with the next and what that could look like should they take Jarris Walker or Taylor Hendricks at nine. And in the final segment, I'll explain whether or not I value this method of drafting and which players are so good that the Jazz would choose redundantly uh, to select 
this players that fill the exact need or, you know, that aren't needs for the jazz, but they're good enough to be the pick uh, that the jazz should consider at 16, regardless of who they pick at nine and how it correlates to roster construction. So let's dive right in the jazz. It's no secret. You heard it every day has heard yesterday's episode with Tony Jones. And thank you to the great Tony Jones for joining me alongside. We, we talked about Osar Thompson, Anthony black, two guys, the jazz are heavily tied to and, and deservedly. So the wizards are tied heavily to Anthony black, but that means that uh, Osar Thompson could be available. Maybe Anthony black somehow is available for the jazz who the jazz like a lot. And there's rumors all over the place that the jazz could be interested in, in moving up to acquire Anthony black. So we'll go about it with the idea that the jazz would take one of these two players and both these players have a couple traits in common. They're excellent defenders. They're excellent athletes with facilitation as their strong suits on offense. Defense is their their true strength. But that's that's an interesting skill set that leaves a deficiency. That leaves both of them as deficient shooters at this stage in their careers. Now, I think Anthony Black and Osar Thompson have room to improve, um, as they would as deficient shooters. But I also think it's feasible that they improve and become competent shooters as opposed to deficient ones. Here are my listed strengths and weaknesses listed for both Anthony Black and Osar Thompson on my NBA big board. If you guys haven't seen it yet, here's a little plug. It's on my Twitter at leave to lean. And I've got information like this on my scouting reports, plus breakdowns and comparisons for the top 45 players on my board, including all the ones that jazz could be interested in. So Anthony Black, what are his strengths? He's got tremendous positional size. He's a true point guard. Fabulous point of attack defender that has the size to defend multiple positions. Slashes to the rim with ease and creates for others. Good vision, even if assists sometimes lack due to poor shooting. His teammates could not shoot the basketball, but I think it is important to watch him play as opposed to get an idea derived from statistics alone. Gets to the free throw line a lot. 5.3 free throw attempts per game. That's a lot. That's an indication of how well he gets to the rim. Uh, I talked about this earlier on a podcast that I have concerns about guys like Kobe Bufkin, maybe Jalen Huchifina, who shot 2.6 and 2.4 free throw attempts per game uh, as considered to be better offensive players at this point in their careers than Anthony Black. Anthony Black got 5.3 free throw attempts per game, and the frenetic pace of Arkansas may help him there, but he's a walking rim uh, rim threat, uh, a paint touch, and so that's something that I, I think is underrated about Anthony Black. He was effective in pick and roll, even in a condensed court. And I talk about how condensed the court is. He had the two twins, the Mitchell twins, and four non-shooters on the court alongside him. So he was still effective in pick and roll. That's a huge asset in today's NBA. He rebounds very well and makes intangible plays that may win games at high level. Now let's go to his weaknesses, and that's what we're going to be talking about. If he's deficient in these categories, who could be selected that fills those deficiencies? He's not a good shooter. 70% from the free throw line, 30.1% from three, and 32% on all jump shots. He doesn't create a ton of space in isolation, relying mainly on going downhill using long, rangy strides. Can be a tentative uh, player on offense at times and overpass causing turnovers or worse shots. He had three turnovers per game. I think there's some context to that number because he had the ball so unbelievably much and the pace they played leads to more turnovers. But that's still a weakness. And he's relying on playing with advantages at times versus teams with better athleticism. He doesn't create his own advantage as well. Osar Thompson's strengths and weaknesses. His strengths. He's got length, strength, and positional size. Crazy athletic. Transition threat. 
He's demonstrated good passing displays and limited usage. Had six assists per game, but it felt limited. So I think there's more potential as a point guard than people really believe. And that's why I've always been fairly high on his, the prospects of him playing point guard. And I think he'd be an awesome pick for the Jazz. He's a strong finisher, 40 dunks, 65% at the rim, a phenomenal rebounder, lots of untapped potential with the ball, good understanding of how to attack defenses, competes on offense and on defense. Now, what are his weaknesses? He's a 30% catch-and-shoot shooter. Not very good. 67% free-throw shooter. Not very good. He's raw as a playmaker. A lot of those have to do with him getting advantages with his athleticism. He sometimes finishes lazily or softly as opposed to going up and, and adding to that tally of 40 dunks in an inferior league. He drives recklessly at times as if he's predetermined his move. And on layups... Like I said, I think he finishes lazily 51%. I think he's got the capacity to be a very good finisher with that primetime athleticism. So what's, what's common here? Large portions of their weaknesses come from shooting woes. Who could, so who could the Jazz select at 16 that complements their strengths and makes up for their deficiencies? The best shooter in the draft, in my opinion, is Jordan Hawkins from UConn. So typically going Blacker, Thompson at nine, I've spoken about going bigger. But shooting is what would be desired. And there are names at 16 who fit alongside uh, Black or Thompson. And such as Jordan Hawkins, Grady Dick, Jet Howard, Bryce Sensabaugh. Uh, let's talk about their shooting splits. Quite the contrary of what we just witnessed from athletic guards who like to defend and get into the paint and create for others. These are shooting specialists. I don't think either of these, any of these guys are good defensively, but look at these numbers. Jordan Hawkins, 44% on guarded catch and shoot threes, 41% on catch and shoots. Grady Dick, 40% on catch and shoot threes. Jet Howard, 40% on unguarded threes, 38% off the dribble. Dariq Whitehead, 42% from three, 44% on catch and shoots. Those are four of the best shooters in the class. I can make arguments for other players, but those are guys that could be in that range, and that is the, a sweet spot for shooting. All those players excel at a trait that is needed in today's NBA, shooting. But none of them project to be good defenders on the wing, hamstringing their candidacy as a playoff performer. I've, I've mentioned how I think uh, Kevin Herter is the best example of this. Kevin Herter got played off the court, and he's got more game with the ball than any of those guys, and he's a tremendous shooter. So Black and Thompson allow for the Jazz to gain in departments they sorely lack. Size in the backcourt, defensive chops, playmaking, and they allow the Jazz to make strides in multiple categories without sacrificing money to buy those type of players to fill a roster. And they could do so at a very, very high level early on and often in their careers. That's something that's interesting to me. Is it worth exploring? Maybe taking a guy like uh, Anthony Black or Osar Thompson at 16, then you try to find a complementary player at 16 i think there are other guys that are complementary uh at 16 but those are the ones that i think have the most diametrically opposed skill sets grady dick is a shooter anthony black is a creator and defender uh jordan hawkins same same point as grady dick uh, osar thompson same as anthony black I've, I've talked previously about going guard then big big then guard but i think the skill set idea is interesting well, we'll talk about how valid of, an, of a drafting strategy that is coming up next, but or coming up at the very end of the show. But I, I think it's interesting to explore different ways the Jazz want to explore this draft because they have the, the amount of picks that they need and because they have a chance to come away with a positive trait at each position in this draft. So maybe they do separate it out. Danny Ainge has talked about becoming a better shooter, but I think the main priority is going to be positional size. So that I think will be 
demonstrated early and often with pick one. We'll see what happens with pick two if they choose to be complementary. Coming up next, I'll discuss how the Jazz could roster build differently should they select Jarris Walker or Taylor Hendricks or even Bilal Koulibaly. But first, a word from our show's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. I mean, it happens. Sometimes you worry about what, what's going on for others more than yourself, and it's hard to cope. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life. So you can keep you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Visit better visit uh, find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on MBA to get 10% off your first month. That's help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash locked on NBA. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome back into Locked On Jazz. And if you're here to hear about the NBA draft, which is coming up very shortly, which I assume you are, if you're anything like me, I recommend you check out Locked On Network, what the, what the NBA hosts were able to put together. I was able to contribute and do a little bit of uh, analysis, but all the hosts of the NBA shows uh, contributed for an ultimate mock draft that only Locked On could put together. Uh, then Richard Stamen and myself provided some analysis on some of the prospects with a little one-minute pitch uh, on why it's a good pick. And Rafael Barlow, the head honcho of Locked On NBA Big Board, broke down each and every pick and talked about the needs. Very cool product. I highly recommend you check it out and see how accurate the host can be. So, where are we? The Jazz would love to look at the board and say, wow, Jairus Walker's available. We Tony and I talked about that. It may not be likely, but if Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, Cam Whitmore, Bilal Koulibaly is available and the Jazz end up calling their name at nine, what do the Jazz look to do at 16 that would complement the skill set? So I'll break down the skill set of those type of players and talk about others that are available at 16 that I think will actually be available at 16. Maybe we'll talk about exploring the avenue of trading up uh, as we talked a little bit about with Tony that some of the Jazz Players that they really like, uh, they, don't, they don't know if they're going to be out there at 16. Mark Stein reported it, that the Jazz are interested in Koulibaly. The, the Jazz are interested in Keontae George, and they may not be there at 16. So the Jazz could be an aggressive player to move up both from the 9 spot and the 16 spot. So we'll, we'll talk about this from all avenues. What opposing traits and deficiencies could, could be helpful to fill? Like what, what are the weaknesses for Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and then who can help fill those avenues to make the Jazz as well-rounded in this draft class as possible. So here are my scouting reports on Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks. Let's start with Jairus Walker, who I think is the better player of the two. 
He's got a huge build that is rare. Few players of the height, weight, wingspan measurements he possesses, and nearly all of them are very good. He's in the same category, not quite in the in the realm of Kawhi Leonard, OG Ananobi, Tari Eason. He's just not quite as tall as they are. But in terms of wingspan, weight, height, he's, he's a rare breed. He couples the traits with a hunger to get stops and is an impressive defender. He's a very good passer, hugely underrated uh, in that regard. I think he's got more to that skill set than people know. He, he played a lot on the ball at IMG along with other stars such as Keontae George. Shooting form looks solid on the catch, shows flashes of self-creation for a veteran-laden team that was a one seed, so he's going to star in his role as he already has. Shot 41% on catch and shoot looks. Very, very good for a guy who's considered to be not the best shooter. Uh, good finisher attacking the rim uses both power and agility to finish through or around defenders. At Houston, he has improved his shooting mechanics compared to his high school shot, where he often faced up to attack the hoop at IMG. Defends as both a switchable defender as well as a secondary rim protector, which so many teams covet. Demonstrated good touch on floaters and hook shots. Now, where are the areas of concern? Taking him high in the draft relies heavily on upside that he's yet to be proven at a top level at any as a top option at any level. He wasn't the top option at Houston. That was Marcus Sasser. He wasn't necessarily the top scoring option at IMG. So how high do you want to take a guy that won't be your go-to bucket getter? That's that's the question for him. That's not the biggest concern, but it's something. His handle is a bit loose. He takes risks while dribbling and passing into large crowds. And he largely hasn't shown he's a good shooter despite vastly improved form. He shoots only 66% from the charity stripe. And typically shooters in college that I'd consider good shoot over 73%. Hendricks. Let's break his game down. He's a very good shooter. Bar, bar, bar none. Like he positionally, he's a very, very, very good shooter for his position. He's a big guy. Vertical pop demonstrated on dunks and blocks. He's a fluid mover with and without the ball, especially defensively. Shot 39% from three and 38% on all jumpers as the head honcho on UCF. Uh, he's 41% on catch and shoot opportunities. The, he, the modern NBA game suits his game to a T as a stretch big who can defend. He runs the court well, making himself a transition threat. He's a very good secondary rim protector at 1.7 blocks per game. He can pop or roll. As a, a big, that's that's impressive. He's 95th percentile in transition, labeled as excellent by Synergy. What are his weaknesses? He certainly needs to add strength, must refine natural tools and get better with the ball, must improve as a finisher against higher level competition, shot only 44% on, uh, at the rim on finishes that were not dunks, and will need to become better with the ball in space to attack closeouts. A lot to like there, and in this case, I actually believe fit to be in favor of a guard at 16. Um, so if, if they're taking a wing at uh, nine, it makes sense to take a guard because guard is the biggest need for the Jazz, and that's why drafting fit, even though I'm typically a proponent of best player available. But also, this is where the guards have the most positional depth in the draft, in my opinion. The guards at 16 will be one of Kaysen Wallace, Kobe Bufkin, Jalen Huchifino, Keontae George, and Nick Smith Jr., you could toss in a couple other names, but I think those are the guards that you'd be contemplating. Well, if you're drafting nine and the, you're, you're drafting 16, you're not moving up. I think it's fairly likely two or three of those five guards are still available. And so now take your pick. These guards all have the capacity to score on their own and suffer and offer upside as plus size guards. 
I personally believe Jalen Huchifino to be the most suited to foil to act as a foil with Hendricks or someone who can thrive where Hendricks is deficient and vice versa. Jalen Huchifino is a very good ball in hand scorer, whereas Hendricks is very off ball oriented. And that's where I think they make up for each other's deficiencies and, and complement each other nicely. As for Walker, I believe his counterpart that would be that would be best served for Jarris Walker would be Keontae George. And it's it's ironic they were high school teammates. And I think it makes sense. It, it's, he's Jarris Walker fits a team beautifully. Keontae George is a natural born scorer who thrives with the ball in his hands. Like those are some interesting ones. I don't think that's necessarily the order the Jazz would take, but in terms of what players could be foil, act as foils to one another, I think those are interesting uh diametrically opposed prospects that, that could complement each other nicely. Koulibaly is an interesting case. If the Jazz were to take Koulibaly at nine, which Mark Stein reported as a possibility in the Stein line, uh, we'll see. I'd be a little surprised, but it could happen. Koulibaly is so raw and talented, but inconsistent. I believe the perfect complementary player for Bilal would be Kobe Bufkin or Kaysen Wallace. Each have the capacity to score and, and sport smooth jump shots. That's the appeal. Like Koulibaly is a rigid shooter at this point. Like percentage wise, he's he's not bad. His catch and shoot's actually impressive in terms of the percentage shot and the limited amount of catch and shoot jump shots. But he's a bit of a dare shooter right now. He's an unbelievable athlete, someone who's a defensively oriented wing who can get to the rim and use that tremendous athlete uh, athleticism to finish at the rim and attack closeouts, defend the point of attack. Well, I think Kobe Bufkin is the most like good at a lot of different things type of prospect among those guards. And that's why I would say he's the guy that would be best suited to pair with Bilal Koulibaly. I do think those two guys are probably not there at 16, but with the jazz talked uh, in Mark, Mark Stein's report that the jazz would, would move up to try to find a guard. They mentioned that there's a couple different guards that the Jazz could consider moving up to try to get should they not get one at nine. So we'll see what happens, but that's interesting. And that the reason I think this is an interesting exercise, and I had a friend of mine, if you're listening, you know who you are, uh, pr- uh, proposed this as a podcast topic. And initially I was a little bit hesitant because I was like, oh, best player available is something that that I think Danny Ainge has adhered to. That's something that I prefer. Uh, but because the Jazz have three picks, it would be interesting to try to fill deficiencies as a team that are, you know, not like enormous, like positional deficiencies are one thing. That's the point guard. The Jazz are going to come away with a guard. I, I have the utmost confidence that the Jazz will take a guard. But I, I think that the skill set complementing their rookies to try to cover the bases of what the team had lacked is an interesting idea. So I went and followed through. But coming up next, I'll discuss the merits of this idea and a couple different style of players to make the draft as well-rounded as possible, as well as telling you who I who I think I would draft at 16 for the Jazz for each possible selection at 9 and why. But first, let me tell you about FanDuel. FanDuel is an awesome thing. I, I, it's not always something I use. But I have. I, I love looking into this stuff. Uh, baseball season is in full swing right now, and there is no better place to get in in the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. Right now, I haven't been into baseball but there are some underrated teams. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 
underrated in the NL West. That's a team that I would I would consider with some value. I, I'm a Red Sox fan, and they're last in the AL East. But if they're playing against the AL East, that's a team you might want to consider because they're 38 and 35 in the best division in baseball, last place. Whereas the AL Central's top team, the Minnesota Twins, have a, a sub 500 record. Now, if you see a team like the Red Sox uh, playing against non AL East teams, might be worth a worth a worth a gander. So don't miss your bet, to, uh, your chance to snag no, no sweat first best bet online up to one thousand dollars when you join FanDuel today. Just go to locked. Uh, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. I also want to tell you about Intercap Lending. Intercap is one of the largest independent lending companies. They're differently hyper responsive. Like there is a noticeable difference when you talk to Intercap and how they respond, actively listen and respond to what you ask in a proactive manner. Unbelievable service. They embrace change. And why so you might ask, why would you embrace change if they're successful? Well, because uh, like like basketball teams, like the Jazz, you need to adapt to the current times. Even if you've had a successful run, you need to embrace change and grow as a company. Intercap's done exactly that. They, they have unbelievable borrower experience. So many testimonials say Steve Carter and the crew at Intercap Lending are phenomenal. They're a direct issuer and there are 44 states. So, you know, it's they listen to you like they're they're a tiny company, but they're enormous. 44 states, not just in Utah, but we're a Utah-based podcast, and they're very present here in Utah. You can service your own loan, have a long-term relationship, and it's better for the customer. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer for Locked On Jazz. Call him at 385-800-8528. Make sure to tell him you're on Locked On and get the corporate discount. Somewhere, somewhere down the road, this will be very important for you. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. And for more information, visit intercaplending.com. Welcome back in to Locked on Jazz, where tomorrow everydayers will be, and those joining me for what will be draft day, will be hearing Andy Larson. Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune has been kind enough to, uh, to join me for tomorrow's show. Look forward to it. We're going to get you all primed up for draft day. Address the very latest up-to-the-minute news on what the Jazz could be doing, what the rest of the NBA, the lottery, is going to dictate for the Jazz, and maybe talk about who Andy prefers as a prospect and play a little bit of who would you take should this happen. So look forward to that, as I do, and it's draft day coming up soon. We'll have another one recapping the draft for you coming out Friday morning. So where, where we are in this is talking about draft philosophies. I have this idea of drafting in a complimentary fashion has grown on me from when I first thought about it, but I will say I personally believe in the best player available. And I don't think I'll, I'll change my, my stance on that situation could dictate a little bit, but, but I typically go best player available even over fit unless the fit is just makes no sense. Like one example of that would be the Pistons. The Pistons make no sense to take Amon Thompson, even if he were available, just because they have Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, two, two up-and-coming stars at their position, and so they don't need the playmaking ability of Amon Thompson. So the set, situation that could test my philosophy would be if the Jazz landed a wing, where I would almost certainly take the top guard, and that's just because the Jazz have made it very clear that they want to get bigger, and better at facilitation in the backcourt. 
They don't think Colin Sexton is a point guard. I don't think Taylor Horton Tucker, despite growth in that regard, is going to be a point guard. So the Jazz want to find a point guard in their of their future. There, there's a way that they don't take him there. Maybe Bilal Koulibaly fall, falls to 16 and you have Hendricks and Koulibaly. Sign me up. I, I, I don't think that necessarily is what's going to happen. But I would say it's more than likely that the Jazz and the one of their first two picks are going to take a guard. Like I, I would say that's very, very likely. Furthermore, this is the strongest position in this draft uh, in terms of positional depth. Like the guards from 10 to 17, I mentioned, I think five players in that range are going to be guards and guards that fit what the Jazz want. Positional size, playmaking, and scoring upside. Some of them have you know, better defensive intangibles. Maybe Cason Wallace is starting to fall according to some mock drafts. Maybe he falls all the way 16. And a lot of people, including myself, have had him in the top 10. So that's that's an interesting situation. Jalen Hood-Shafino is a big guard who's like just absolutely destroyed drop coverage in college. He shot unbelievably well above the break in college from three. His, his numbers were not great in terms of shooting the ball uh, from three. But here's some stats for you guys. He shot 44% from the top of the key from deep, 38% on pick and rolls from deep where he sits behind the screen and knocks down a three, and he shot 39% from above the break. That's where the guard wants to shoot the ball. So for those saying he's not a great shooter, not a tremendous athlete, but he is 6'6", has scoring chops, and is a natural point guard, that's an interesting pick. As for selecting to make the draft, selections cover as many bases as possible in a class that has its deficiencies, like, you know, there would be deficiencies if you took Anthony Black. Like, shooting wouldn't be the best. Maybe you take another guard because you think, hey, you know what, we're going to take best player available. So th- there is some merit to to taking a guy like uh, Jordan Hawkins as a shooter. I know he's another guard. Or maybe you go with Grady Dick as a wing who could shoot the ball. Jet Howard, Dariq Whitehead. I, I think I'd lean towards taking a bigger player, but I'm starting to warm up to the idea of trying to make your class as well-rounded as possible. So then in multiple spots that the Jazz – would, would feel like they came away with a player who contributes something to their roster that they didn't necessarily have before or have enough of before. Because I know the Jazz want shooting, but the utmost priority is getting a positionally uh, sizable guard with an ability to defend on the point of attack and create for others. So I think that would be knocking out two birds with with your two stones, with, with nine and 16. And I think there's more value to that than I initially would have thought because I initially would have said, if you take Anthony Black, maybe you take Leonard Miller, uh, a Noah Clowney, or someone like that, a bigger player. But, but I like the idea of skill set as opposed to matching positions of guard and then forward automatically, or forward then guard. I think if there's a forward, you probably take a guard, but it's not necessarily because they're a guard. It's because of skill set and dependent uh, needs on, on to your franchise. And in this case, the Jazz definitely need a guard. But if the best player available at nine is a wing, I think they take the best player available. So let's talk about who I would take. So should the Jazz take Anthony Black, I would probably still consider Leonard Miller, and I would take Kobe Bufkin if he's available because I think he's got the ability to complement Black despite being a guard because he can play both ways and shoot as opposed to shooting being paramount and the only pathway for Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins, and Jet Howard to rise. I also believe Bufkin can play the two guard and fit with Black, and there would be enough size and defensive versatility in that backcourt. But my my hunch is Bufkin will be gone before 16. And maybe maybe the Jazz or another team may trade up to get him because he's becoming somewhat of a draft darling. 
As for Hendricks, if the Jazz were to take Hendricks at nine, Jalen hood Shafino makes the most sense to me as a bucket-getting big point guard who can thrive in the pick-and-roll or the pick-and-pop in the, with Hendricks, and which is Hendricks' specialty. You, you get better at shooting the ball, you get better at scoring, and you have, have a point guard. I adhere to the philosophy of selecting the best players, but I do think the Jazz are in the position to say, look, we do not need to take the, the, be cute and take complimentary players as the motivation to take them. Only if a player has a skill set that fits what the Jazz needs and has upside on both, end, uh, both ends. My personal th- targets for 16 that I've had all along have been Leonard Miller, Jalen Huchifino, and Kobe Bufkin. Uh, I believe Bufkin will be gone, but if the Jazz select any of the wings, with uh, any of the three wings with the next pick, uh, with the ninth pick, the next pick is likely to address a guard. We know that. We've talked about that from the very first podcast I did with you guys. And then I would prioritize versatility and the capacity to be a factor on both ends, like Noah Clowney, Leonard Miller, uh, Koulibaly, if he's available. And the upside that they possess more so than the specialty, what I'd consider to be a luxury type of player in Grady Dick, uh, even even someone like Nick Smith or uh, Jet Howard, just because even though Nick Smith is a guard, he, he's very skill-oriented, needs this, a situation to work out for him to be as good as he can be. Grady Dick, I think he's, he'd be very good if he were playing with like prime LeBron James, someone who's able to create for him, and he's got a defined role as a specialist. And that still could be the case. I just don't know if that's what the Jazz have. And so I would rather go with covering all my bases finding more players that I think are capable of playing in the playoffs once the Jazz are in the playoffs, which is sooner than you'd think, uh, because you need players that can be versatile, make an impact on both ends to compete in the NBA. And so I would target those type of players and follow best player available as to what ad- adhering to what the Jazz truly believe uh, is is the best way forward. In some, the Jazz don't need luxury players. They don't need to be cute and take these players that complement each other. But it is interesting to explore the possibility of complementing skill sets to get better in terms of a more. Like there's more growth by doing so, but I think they're the most growth you can have is guys that ha- that cover more bases. So I would rather take a multifaceted player than someone that has a separating trait or skill that is their only trait or skill that is NBA caliber. Every dayers were one day away from the draft. Interact with me on Twitter and get excited for the pod with Andy Larson airing draft day. Perhaps a- asks me some questions, maybe some Andy questions. My Twitter is at Leaf Tulin, L-E-I-F-T-H-U-L-I-N. If you guys have some good questions, like, like my friend here sent me this proposal. I'm not afraid to use it, and I'll ask Andy Larson those questions. So send me some some questions once you listen to this podcast. We'll see if those are used. I'm going to have some questions of my own to pick Andy's brain. And until then, have a great day. And as always, go Jazz. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.